Hey everyone, welcome to The Well. This is Dylan Bowman. I hope everybody is doing great ahead of the holiday season. I'm gonna keep the intro short on this one, but I have a very special episode for you today with champion ultra runner Hayden Hawks. I've wanted to have Hayden on the show ever since I started this podcast as a big fan and admirer of his. And just this past weekend, of course, Hayden won and set the course record at the JFK 50 miler in Maryland, which gave us the perfect occasion to finally connect and record a conversation. Of course, we spent the bulk of the episode talking about JFK, including the training leading up to it and the COVID considerations around it. But we also talked about other things too, including Hayden's recent move back to Hoka One One, which was his original sponsor. And we talked about his future goals as well. He's a great guy. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Please welcome Hayden Hawks. Hayden Hawks. You champion. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you, my friend. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, this is uh, probably one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to (laughs) every single one of your episodes on all my runs and rides and everything. And so I'm just grateful to be on here because, yeah, this is, like I said, this is my favorite podcast that I always listen to. So... (laughs) Dude, you're too kind. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours as well. And uh, it's great to, to finally have you on the show. And we've got a lot of great things to talk about. Of course, you just coming off uh, an amazing course record performance at the JFK 50 just a couple of days ago. We'll go into it in more detail, but just generally, how are you, how are you feeling physically, emotionally, psychologically after such a great performance? Yeah, I'm actually feeling really good, man. Like, uh, to be honest with you, I think I'm going to recover pretty, pretty quickly from this. Um, a little soreness, you know, of course the, the normal things, little sore in the quads and in different muscles like that, you know, with it being primarily a running race, you know, you're, you're using your muscles quite a bit. You're running pretty fast the whole time. And so of course you're going to be a little sore, but honestly, I, I feel great. Like, uh, it's, uh, the block leading up to it was, was perfect, man. Like I was hitting all my workouts spot on things just really were flowing through the whole training. And I think that's going to help, you know, aiding in the recovery process for sure. Heck yeah. Well, I want to talk a lot about the, uh, not only the race, but the, the training that went into it. So we'll save that for a few minutes and, uh, first talk about the season that you've had thus far, of course, this year has been weird for all of us, um, but you've been able to make the most of the few opportunities that you've had to race. Of course, before the coronavirus hit, you won a local race early in the season in January and then uh, and then won the Black Canyon 100K. Of course, a really competitive early season race, golden ticket race uh, in February. And then, you know, you you set the course record, broke a really old course record at an old Utah classic race, the, the Squaw Peak 50. You're second at Speed Goat. And now, uh, of course, as we just mentioned, you had an amazing win and course record performance at the JFK 50, the oldest ultra marathon in the U.S., um, just generally, what were your goals kind of going into this year and, and how did you have to adjust based on the circumstances and, and maybe what were some of the highlights of your season so far? Yeah, <laughs> uh, everything changed. Let's just say that, you know, the, the big goal was to get that golden ticket at Black Canyon, uh, which I was able to do early on in the year, you know, before the coronavirus really hit here in the United States. Um, and then after that, like the goal was to really to go out and do my best at Western States 100. 
Um, it was supposed to be my, my year to, you know, debut at, at Western States and really try to have a great performance there. Of course that got canceled. And so I, I started looking at alternatives and was like, well, you know, UTMB hasn't been canceled yet. Maybe I'll go back to that and try that again. And of course that got canceled. So like, yeah, after that, it, it just kind of became like, well, let's just focus on training this year, you know, like don't get wrapped up in all the the FKTs and, and chasing time trials and stuff like that. Like let's really use this year to get as fit as you possibly can. Let's, let's try to build your engine as big as you can. So you can utilize that, you know, going into 2021, um, if races open up and you feel like it's safe and, and it's okay to do them, then, then, yeah, I was like, well, I'll go out and, and, and maybe try some races if I can. But if not, I was like, this might actually be a blessing in disguise because I can learn so much from this year. You know, I can get as fit as I can. I can dial in training. I can work on them, something that I've maybe been pushing off the strength training and cross training and stuff like that. Dial in my nutrition and just get everything ready to go so that I could build off of that next year and, and years after. And so actually, to be honest with you, 2020 has been a great year for me. Um, it's It's been a year to just dial things in and and I'm, I'm really happy. And I think it's been a, a huge blessing actually this year has. Yeah. What a great lesson, right? I mean, as an athlete myself, you know, the, the thing that really motivates me is the competition, right? And so when the competition is sort of taken out of the picture, I find it so hard to like stay motivated and, you know, the way that you put it and instead of like, you know, what, uh, what races are not going to be canceled and constantly having to like adjust your goals and take things off the table and constantly feeling like, I don't know, without direction, instead focusing the energy into the training and just trusting that with that being the, the ultimate investment that at some point it's going to pay off and, uh, the opportunity will present itself to make all that hard work, um, you know, be worthwhile as of course it, it was for you just a couple of days ago. So, you know, you mentioned that you won Black Canyon and you earned your golden ticket there. Of course, Western States uh, was canceled very early to their credit. What were your goals going into Western States this year? And uh, how are you thinking about it in terms of next year? Your golden ticket obviously will will carry over into the 2021 Western States. What were your goals going into this year's race and how are you thinking about it for next year? Yeah, I mean the the goals going into Western States this year were were just to go out there and have a good experience at 100 miles. You know, do the best that I could. Of course, I always want to win races. I always want to you know run as fast as I possibly can. Um, but that being said, I was like, you know, that that course record's pretty hard there. Like, I don't know if I'm prepared to be able to run that fast in a in my debut 100. Like, I guess I I debuted at UTMB, but I only ended up running 50 miles of it. So. Oh. Like I've never actually finished the hundred mile distance. And it's like, so Western States, it was like, let's go and finish the hundred mile distance, have a great experience out there and enjoy it, you know, and, and get ready for it and, and see what it's like. And now, you know, those goals have kind of changed a little bit because like, I feel like because it got canceled this year, I feel even more prepared going into it for, for 2021 because of all the training and everything that I was able to get in this year. And I feel more mentally, physically prepared for it. And so like the goals have kind of changed where I'm looking at it like, well, I can win that race, you know, like maybe not just going, I mean, I still want to have a great experience and do my best, but 
I'm like, I'm going to put myself into a position to win. And, and mm-hmm. if, if circumstances, you know, are good and everything, maybe even chase that, that course record, you know, because I, I feel like the, the physical capability is there. Um, the mental capability is there now. And, and honestly, this year, like I said, it's been such a great year for that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in, instead of focusing on racing and, and having competition motivate me this year, it, it became more of internally, you know, like bringing it more internal to where I was internally motivating myself the whole year with training and, and setting milestones and, and key things in my training to like, okay, let, let's do this workout. Now let's see if I can improve on that workout two weeks from now. And let's see if I can improve on that workout mm. two weeks from now, you know, and it just became these, these smaller goals to help me reach the big goal. And honestly, it's, it's been awesome. And, and yeah. it's, it's been great for me. So, yeah, again, it's just like such a, a good lesson for, for younger athletes or, you know, people who, are in the sport at whatever level, right? Like it's my opinion. And I keep saying this, that, you know, the, the people who used this year wisely will be rewarded for it. And it'll be totally obvious next year or whenever the time comes that we do resume normal competition that, uh, you know, it, it'll be totally obvious who used their time wisely during this, uh, this crazy pandemic. And uh, it sounds like you have. And so uh, I know myself and many other people will be anxiously awaiting or anxiously looking forward to your, your debut at Western States next year. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I learned so much, man. Like, honestly, like, I felt like this was always there, you know, mm-hmm. the capability to do these things has always been there. Like, you know, especially in this, these runnable races, these really fast races, you know, in college, I was known as the death marcher. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the guy that could always go out there and just hammer paces for long, long periods of time. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, whenever it became a long tempo run or something like that, like I was always up in front, you know, challenging like the records on these runs from like Olympians, like Cam Levins and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and i never ran as fast as Cam in the, in the shorts of the 5k or the 10k, but you know, in workouts, it was always like the longer the workout, the better for me where I could just grind and death march for hours and hours. It was, it was amazing. And so like, I always knew it was there and, and I always really believed in myself that it was there, but I had a, I had a lot of distractions over the last few years. I think like I mean, I am pretty new to the sport and I got really excited coming into it. You know, I've only been doing it for like four years now and, Mm -hmm. and I'm still learning, but like I, I traveled too much. I was over training. I was definitely over racing. Um, (laughs) I wasn't putting strength training in, I wasn't putting cross training in like things like that, that were simple, but like I, I had a lot of distractions and, and because of this year having to be home and, and not racing as much. I learned, you know, how many races I actually need to be doing every year, you know, mm-hmm. what type of training I need to be doing that, that works best for me, you know, so I don't overtrain and, yeah. and I'm not dead going into races and, and just little things like that I can now take into the future. And honestly, this, this was a huge turning point in my career, I feel like. And yeah. I think this is going to help me not only short-term, but long-term and I'm just grateful for it. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it's, it's such a good point. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great to hear you say that as sort of like the next generation that's coming up now, of course, you're already well established and you've had an amazing career in the short time that you've been in the sport, but this is, you know, we all, we all live and we all learn as we uh, sort of make mistakes in our careers. And, you know, it's, it's the people who are able to uh, evolve and develop based on those mistakes that uh, ultimately are most successful. And, you know, when we look at Killian Jornet, just for as, as an example, you know, he's won Sears and all like seven or eight times, but it wasn't until the year that he actually cut down his racing volume and just focused on the training that he was able to finally break that course record at Sears and all. And it's just such a great encapsulation of basically what you're saying. So before we, we go into JFK, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to brag about your wife a little bit, because I know this was a cool thing earlier in the year. Um, at the Pioneer Spirit 50 Miler, the USATF 50 Mile Championship. Um, I think you were there in support, um, sort of uh, making up for or returning the favor for all the times that Ashley has been there in support of you. And Ashley won the race and she's the reigning USATF 50 Mile Champion. Talk about that race and, and talk about, um, yeah, what that was like from your perspective to see your wife um, have such an awesome performance and, and how she's helped you in your career. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to brag about her because I'll brag about her all day, all night, every day. <laughs> I mean, she is my rock. She's my support. Like it's amazing what she's helped me, you know, accomplish over the years and what we've accomplished together, you know, as we've united as a couple and, and really helped each other achieve our goals. Um, you know, it's amazing. She, she does so much for me. And and so, yeah, like I, I, I've been trying to do my best to, to, return that favor, you know, do the best I can to help support her with her dreams and goals, you know, and, and she had a goal this year of, of running a 50 mile race, you know, she, she didn't care to win it. She didn't care to break course records or anything. She's just like, I just want to run 50 miles. Like, I want to see what it's like, you know, to run 50 miles. And so we set that goal early on the pioneer spirit to go after that. And, and I coach her, you know, and so it, it's kind of fun to, to have that, you know, as well. And, um, she, she set that goal. So we went out there and, and she, she crushed it, man. She, she did amazing. She was out there and, you know, she had some really hard times in the race, but she's such a tough woman. I mean, she is just a total badass, really. And, and she, she does everything like, I don't know how, how she does it, but she's just so tough mentally and she fought through some really hard times and was able to come out on top, you know, and, uh, against a really quality field. And I was just so proud of, of that moment, to be honest with you, you know, that seeing her win and, and do that at that race was probably one of the greatest achievements in my career, <laughs> you know, seeing that, you know, it's when you love somebody as much as I love my wife and, and seeing them achieve their goals and accomplish things like that, it, it really, it, it just makes you so happy. You know, it's, it's the happiest moments of your life really. Yeah. Well, well, well coached. Yeah. Good, uh, good job. She coaches me more than yeah, I coach yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's so cool. I think it's a great story and I'm glad uh, that you got to, to brag about her a little bit. And for those of us who follow you on social, I mean, you guys have a, a wonderful family and it's great to see you guys being so successful both on, on the race course and, and outside of running as well. So Let's, uh, let's talk about another thing that, um, I think is really, uh, worth 
worthy of conversation before we move to JFK that'll occupy the bulk of our time here. And that is you recently announcing that you were going to be rejoining your original sponsor, Hoka Oneone, after um, a little bit more than a year, maybe two years, having uh, run for Ultra. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure exactly how much you're allowed to divulge about the situation, but I'm sure the listeners and the community at large would love a little insight into what kind of considerations the best athletes in the world are weighing when deciding the brands they want to align themselves with. Can you give us any insight into the dynamic there and what went through uh, your decision-making process as you, you move back to Hoka? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, yeah, Hoka, believed in me from the start, you know, which was amazing. Like coming out of college, I was such a new guy and, you know, I was able to win speed go and, and have some good performances right off the bat. And, and Hoka jumped on board and, and they were like, we believe in you. We support you. We want to help you. And I really developed this, this sense of like this family with Hoka, you know, being with them. And, and I really loved being with the brand. It was, it's, it's such an amazing company and, and amazing people that run the company. And, and I really had this really strong unity and, 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 you know, strength with them. And, and I, and I felt that, you know, for, for the years that I were, was with them and, you know, with ultra, I knew a lot of people in the company and, you know, there was definitely some interest in them as well. And, and I had tested out the product and, and at first I thought the product was great for me and that it would work. And, you know, and, and I, so I, I ended up switching to ultra, um, for a few different reasons, but you know, that, that being one of them and, and, you know, nothing against ultra ultra is an amazing company. Really. They are, they're an awesome company. They support their athletes. They're, they're doing all that they can to help grow the sport and, and do everything. But it, the product just didn't work for me, you know, and just like, you know, Nikes don't work for everybody. Adidas don't work for everybody. It's just what it is, right? Like some mm. products work for some people and some don't, you know, that's why there's so many shoe companies out there. Yeah. And, uh, ultra just wasn't working for me. You know, I was having issues with a little bit of injury and stuff and, and, but my wife still runs in ultra. She loves yeah. ultra, you know, it, it works for her. She's not injured with ultra and she loves them. But for just for me and my biomechanics and everything that I do, it, it just wasn't working. And, mm -hmm. and so I got to the point where I was like, you know, um, I'm willing to take a pay cut, I'm willing to do whatever it takes yeah. really to be in a, in a product that works for me because I knew that I couldn't continue to improve as an athlete and, and have a long-term career if I wasn't in the right product for me. And so I decided to go back to Hoka. I, I mm -hmm. decided that I, and, and ultra was awesome. They, they understood, you know, everything. They were really, really awesome in letting me just leave the company because mm -hmm. they knew they wanted the best for me and for my family. And so they, they let me go. And, and luckily for me, um, I was able to go back to that, that family, you know, of, of Hoka that I, that I grew to love and they brought me back with open arms and, and the product again, it, it works great for me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm healthy in the product and, and it's, it's a product that just really, really works for me as a, as an athlete. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, it, it was solely product based mm -hmm. to be a hundred percent honest with you. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about nothing. I, I cared mm -hmm. about the product because 
money can come and go really. Mm -hmm. I mean, but the experiences you have as an athlete, like those last forever. And I wanted to have, you know, good, good experiences. And, and I knew that I couldn't do that if I was unhealthy and I wanted to have a long career and I knew I couldn't have a long career if I wasn't healthy. And, and so that's what I decided to do. And I'm very grateful for both companies and the belief and the support and the love that they've both given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for both companies and yeah, I, I'm really happy to be back with Hoka though. And, and it's been awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your honesty there. I, I think, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, people probably were wondering about and, you know, I obviously, uh, can totally vouch for your characterization of the fact that, you know, some things work for some people and some things just don't work for some people. And, and ultra is, a brand that has so many loyal runners. I mean, there's so many people who have found that not only their, their runnings improve, but like their, you know, whole like lower leg and health and, you know, biomechanics have improved with zero drop. And, you know, for some people, maybe it's just uh, not the right uh, type of strategy and kudos to them for, yeah, like you said, wanting what's best for you as an athlete and understanding that, that should be the priority and uh, kudos to you for handling it with, uh, with class. And now uh, back with Hoka, at least on the men's side, you've got, you guys have just an absolute murderer's row of a, of a trail and ultra team with you and Tim Tollefson and Jim Walmsley and Jared Hazen and Joe Gray and Tim Frericks among other people. So you guys are a a force to be reckoned with. So let's move to, uh, to JFK now. Um, when was it that you started entertaining the idea of jumping on, uh, the start list there at JFK and, uh, when did you start training for it in earnest? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> so <laughs> when I, when I started, you know, after speed go, when I took second, it wasn't the, the greatest performance I had this year, but it, it was, it was a decent performance. You know, I had a, I had a pretty bad day to be honest with you. So to take second on a bad day, I felt pretty solid about that. Um, but after speed goat, I, I saw some, some flaws in my, my training. And I was like, you know, I need speed. I need to get fast again. Like, you know, coming out of college, I was so fast. And I think that really helped me, you know, at my first speed go and it helped me at TNF that year. And, and I, I kind of lived off of that speed training for about a year or so. And then that speed slowly started to maybe fall off a little bit. And I started, you know, maybe running too many slow miles and just not focusing on speed, maybe running too many miles, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. where I was, was overtraining and, and just not like everybody, everybody responds to different types of training, right? Some people do really well off of long, slow miles. Mm-hmm. Some people do really well off of speed training. It kind of depends on your biomechanics, your, your genetic makeup, different things like that, where you're coming from. Um, I come from speed a speed background, you know, I was a track and field athlete, a cross country athlete. And so I've, I'm really used to that, that building that engine through speed training and through being very efficient and having this huge economy. And, and I, I've seen with me that have dropping my mileage a little bit lower, but focusing on quality and speed training does better for me than, than high, high quality. But or sorry, high volume. Um, but that being said, you know, some people respond really well off of high volume. And so it, you just got to kind of find what works best for you. 
And what I saw is that um, I, I kind of lost a lot of that with, uh, with, with, with trying to test this high volume, yeah. long, slow mile type process. And I'd done that for the last two years and it just wasn't working. Like I, I saw my performances kind of dip and I just didn't feel as sharp and fit and strong in racing. Mm. And so I talked, I sat down with my coach, David Roche and was like, David, what, what should we do? And he said, let's go back to speed training. Let's get you mm. super fast. Let's build your engine and let's just, let's just do that. And so that's what we focused on after speed go. And, um, and so that was kind of the goal was get fast, get as fast as you, fast as you can and see how, if that works, you know, yeah. I'm glad that I tested out the other way of training and cause now I know it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. And then going back to the type of training I was doing more in college and coming out of college now, now I see that that does work great for me. And <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's just, yeah. you, you have to have go through those, those ups and downs, right. To see where you're at. Right. So on on social media, you alluded to the fact that you guys did like a 12 week training block for JFK and that the majority of your training was done on flat terrain. And of course, JFK is a pretty flat race by most standards. So you're probably emphasizing specificity for that specific goal. Can you give us a glimpse into what the training was like over those 12 weeks? And, you know, you talk about doing more quality, maybe a little bit less volume, but how did you and your coach strategize the build for JFK in particular? Were there any uh, specific workouts or long runs that you can point to that showed that you were in position to have an otherworldly performance? Yeah. So, so to go off of that, like, so what, what I'll, I, I gotta give you a little bit of background here. So, <laughs> so JFK came into the picture as a B goal. Actually, yep. I have an A goal in January okay. that I'm going after. I, I can't say anything about it. You'll, you'll know soon. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, it's kind of a special event going on. Um, but that's my A goal. Um, JFK was a beagle. It was supposed to be a training stimulus to get me ready for this, this e event in January that I will be going after. And so it all set up perfectly because, uh, JFK is going to be a perfect stimulus for this eagle. Yes. Uh, but anyways, uh, oh, dude, all, now, now I'm just dying to know. So but no, I won't, yeah, I won't make you divulge it, but this is going to be so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Position yeah. right now. Let's just say that for, <laughs> for what I want to accomplish in January. Yes, uh, dude. Awesome. But anyways, it, it was all kind of set up around that. Like let's, let's do a 12 week speed block into JFK, use that as a, as a beagle training stimulus tune up to get you ready for an eight week block to this race. That's going to happen in January and build this speed. And then off of that speed, we can then build going into Western States next year mm. and have speed and then put some more trail in during the spring and yeah. just be completely finely tuned, dialed in, ready to go for Western States. Cause Western States, you need speed and trail, right? Totally. You have yep. to be fast if you want to win Western States. Yep. And so, yeah, that was this 12 week block was really, there was some strength building in there, but also a lot of speed. You know, some of the sessions we were doing, we were doing, you know, at least like two workouts a week, um, really pretty fast, hard workouts, like 
for instance, a week, a workout I did a couple weeks ago, I did a 30 minute tempo at right around five minute pace. Um, um, and then I went into a five, four, three, two, one breakdown right after that, Mm -hmm. um, where I was doing the, those intervals around 430 to 450 pace Mm -hmm. per mile. Um, you know, and that ended up being like a 19 mile workout at like 550 average or something like that. Beast. Um, I did a 16 mile tempo run right around 520 ish pace. Um, I've done some workouts where like I was doing, you know, a, a tempo, like a 15 minute tempo followed by like a bunch of intervals, let's say like, you know, I don't know, five by five minute intervals or eight by three minute intervals. And then I would go straight into hill repeats after that. And so a lot of it was like running, trying to get comfortable at running under five minute pace. Yeah. Um, so that under six minute pace feels Feels easy. easy. Yeah. You know, and just getting really fast. Wow. So I've done a lot of these workouts down in St. George and here in Southern Utah, I live at 6,000 feet in Cedar city. But the good thing is, is I can drop down to St. George, which is 30 minutes away and St. George is 2000 feet. So it's a lot warmer. It's, it's a lot lower elevation. So I can really work on speed and turnover down Mm -hmm. there, but still live at altitude and get a lot of strength and, and, and at altitude so I can live high and train low. Yeah. And so that whole block was on that. And, and I was also putting some biking in and some strength training in and, and that was helping with some of the volume that maybe yeah. I wasn't getting with the running. Like the bike's awesome because you can get volume and not beat up your body. Totally. Which is yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like the training will be pretty similar going into this January event. And it's it's just the blocks are building on each other and, and just focusing on building economy and getting fast. So smart, man. And yeah, it sounds like there was quite a bit of good quality in in there. And I totally agree. You know, I think the bike and the bike trainer is the friend of the athlete, particularly you'll, you'll understand this a little bit more as you get a little bit older too. But yeah, I mean, I love just sitting on my trainer and, and spinning and in lieu of like adding extra miles, I think it really helps to just get a little bit more aerobic stimulus without, you know, the physical strain of putting in extra miles. So it sounds like, uh, you're, you're really, uh, maturing quickly as an, as an athlete. And it's great. Yeah, to for sure. The bike's awesome. And I really enjoy the bike, to be honest with you. It's, it's really fun. I've always been a huge fan of the tour de France and, you know, cycling in general. And so, you know, feeling like I'm in the tour, you know, riding the bike, <laughs> I'm definitely not as fast as those guys, yeah. but I try and I, I, you know, I dress up like them and get all like serious. No, it's, it's really fun. Um, and yeah. it's an awesome way to see the world too. You know, you can do these big, long bike rides and, and see so much land and area, you know, in, in one ride, it's, totally. it's awesome. And, and then, yeah, like, and that was another thing that this year brought on was, because of this year and not traveling so much and not racing so much, I was able to test out things like the bike and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to put some bike into my training and see if how that affects things and how it works. Do you ever, do you ever throw intervals in on your bike? Probably not when you're like in in core, core training mode, but yeah, not too much. It's mostly just easy, 
easy mm-hmm. spinning, you know, aids in recovery. Yeah. Good way to get volume in. Um, sometimes I'll put a little yeah. bit of intervals in. Yeah, but- we usually we usually use it as a way to sort of get me back into shape. So yeah. doing like six or eight by three minute full gas intervals on the bike a couple of times before I start doing it while I'm running. And mm-hmm. um, I found that that really helps just to kind of fire the engine back up after a little bit of downtime or whatever, and sort of get myself ready for those, uh, those hard interval workouts on foot. Yeah. So it's a great way to maintain fitness. I mean, especially after yeah. a race, cause you can recover and still get good, good training in with the bike, you yep. know, after a race or something. And yeah, like I'll be point. using the bike a lot the next couple of weeks as yep. I recover from JFK, but also to try to maintain fitness. Such a good point. And it's something a lot of the best European athletes do already. And uh, I think there's yeah. a lot of things that we can learn from the way those guys train. So anyway, oh, I didn't, sure. didn't expect we would talk about bike riding so much, but uh, <laughs> let's move on and uh, let's address, uh, you know, the elephant in the room. And, uh, you know, of course, in the last week or 10 days, two weeks, there's been a big uptick in the number of cases and and deaths in the U.S. as a result of the pandemic we're living through. Um, How'd you make the decision to go do JFK and what were your considerations as you thought about it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a hard decision, you know, to make. Um, And I I had to think a lot about it, to be honest with you. you know, one thing like I, I would have to say for, for all those runners out there that are, you know, run, doing races and stuff like that, you know, I think what a lot of people might not realize, and, and I'm not saying we're perfect. And, and that's one thing I want to say is nobody's perfect with this pandemic thing, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. all trying our best. You know, we're trying our best to do the best that we possibly can, but nobody's going to be perfect, you know, like, but, but all we can do is try our best because it's such a, a crazy time and the virus is, is so unpredictable. And, and, you know, like, I think it's important that we don't get on each other and we don't tear people down because I think people generally are trying to do the best that they possibly can. And as elite athletes, you know, we're, we're, and runners, we're doing the best that we possibly can. But I think what a lot of people might not understand is this is our jobs too. Like, this is how we make money. Like I can't support my family if I don't run, like, you know, I'm a, I coach, but the reason I, I have a successful coaching business is because I'm a good runner. And so like, if I don't, if I don't run and if I don't compete and I I don't do things, I literally make no money and I can't support my kid. I have a three-year-old son. I have a wife, like, like, and I'm not saying like, I, I'm doing the best that I can to be as safe as I possibly can through all this but I still have to make money, you know, just like a plumber or, or anybody has to go out and work. Like they have to make money. Yes. You, you do everything you can. You wear the mask, you, you get tested, you, you social distance as much as you possibly can. You're not going to be perfect, but you, but you try your hardest. And, and that's what I did. And that was kind of my decision going into JFK was like, I knew that it, it was hard, but I hadn't raced the almost, I, I barely raced the entire year. I, I needed to get something in. And, and honestly, I, I told my wife, I said, Ashley, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it the right way. We we're going to go out to Maryland, West Virginia. We're going to get a little place out in the middle of the sticks where, where we can <laughs> social distance from everybody. We're literally, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to go out to eat. 
we're we're not going to go to parties. We're not going to go out to dinner with people. It, it's we're, we're going to make this professional, and I'm going to be as safe as I possibly can with it, and respectful as I possibly can. And and that's exactly what we did. You know, here in Cedar City, three weeks before the race we decided that we were going to stay in our home as much as we possibly can besides the training that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so we stayed away from our family. We stayed away from our friends. We stayed away from everybody. We, we, we limited our trips to the grocery store as much as possible. We limited our trips going out to eat. We, we didn't do barely anything in it. And it got to the point where we, we were kind of like just super bored because we were isolating yeah. ourselves so much, but it was the right thing to do. Right. And, and, we barely saw anybody three weeks before the race. First of all, I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure if I was going to do this event, I wasn't going into it with COVID. Of course. But secondly, I knew it was the right thing to do. And then when we went out, we, we went out a week before. Um, so we could stay out of the hype. We rented a place out in the sticks in West Virginia. We went to the grocery store one time, bought all of our groceries. And we literally stayed in our, in our little house, the entire time until the race began. Yeah. We, we cooked all of our food from home. We just hung out with each other, had a good time. And, and we literally saw maybe a few people at the grocery store and that was it. Yeah. You know, on the, on the plane, we, we, we did everything we could with, with, we wore our mask, we doubled up on masks. Um, we, we did all the hand sanitizer. Like we literally sanitized every minute. It felt like yeah. just to make sure that we were trying to be safe. And I'm not saying I was perfect, but I was trying and, yeah. and I, I feel good about it, you know, personally myself. So, well, good. Well, well, thanks for addressing that. And I think you're totally right. You know, we're all doing the best we can. And after all those precautions that you took, then you went to work on Saturday and you, you know, provided for your family on the race course. And, uh, yeah, and, you, you know, know, and after the race, I, I listened to the race directors. I, I literally left right after I had mm -hmm. one, a couple pictures, a short interview, and then jumped in my car and left and went back to my place. Mm -hmm. And we stayed there until we flew out the next morning. Well, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I know you've, yeah, I know it is hard. It's hard, man. And, and, you know, we live in a time where we just can't communicate on social media anymore. And I know you, you got some criticism and, uh, you know, I just wanted you to have an opportunity to sort of give people an idea of the precautions that you took. And I just wanted to say, you know, personally, those of us who know you and who followed, you know, know that you're a man of character and that you had good intentions and, you know, even though we, we can't really communicate with uh, each other on social media, of course, you're not above criticism, but you know, you know, you're, you're a good man an amazing athlete and, and the type of person I think makes the sport great. So, so thanks for the inspiration over, over the weekend. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and, and I, and I, I just like to say too, like if, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and they can say whatever they want to say, and, and that's fine. And, you know, if yeah. people want to criticize me, it's, it's completely fine. I'm yeah. okay with that. You know, I, I, I don't take it personally and I learn from it because I really do. I learn from criticism. I think it's, it's important. Um, you know, all I would say is I, I, I'm trying my best and, and I think that's all that we, we, all of us can do, you know, and, and it's important that we, we band together through this and we, we try to lift each other up mm -hmm. instead of tear each other down. 
Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So one, one final little question on COVID before we shift to your, your performance and talk about that in depth. So I just want to understand sort of like what the precautions were from the race organization standpoint, what were the rules going into it and how did that uh, impact both, you know, like what you had to do before the race in the race and then after the race? Yeah, for sure. Uh, they, they did a lot of precautions, you know, and, and honestly, it, it, it's never going to be perfect, but they, mm-hmm. they tried their hardest. And uh, I, I think they did an amazing job really with it. Um, some of the things they asked us to do is we had to go through a screening beforehand. Um, they encouraged us all to get COVID tests beforehand. And they asked us, you know, like, um, especially the couple days before that, if we hadn't got tested or if we were traveling, you know, the couple days before that, we, we, we rethink it and when, you know, maybe not come, you yeah. know, if that's the case, um, or, you know, and we had to answer, we had to go through this whole screening process. They had an app that they actually had set up to where we had a whole screening process where we had to answer a bunch of questions about our exposure to COVID and, and things like that. Um, they, um, everything was there, like the packet pickup was extremely cautious, you know, with the, with masks, with, uh, hand sanitizer, with social distancing, it was really set up really, really good. Um, the day before, or the, the day of the race, they asked us to show up to the starting line, like literally five minutes before, Mm -hmm. um, social distance at the starting line, masks were required a hundred percent at the starting line. Um, they, they asked us to wear our masks as long as we could from the start until we started to spread out and we were at least six feet apart from each other. Mm -hmm. And we did try to maintain that as much as possible while in the race that, that six feet of social distancing, mm-hmm. we were, had to wear our masks going in and out of aid stations. Um, you know, and anytime we passed anybody on the trail, we would put our masks up and we would cover, you know, to make sure that we were being respectful of everybody on the trail. Um, and then at the finish line, um, they, they, we had to leave right we, we crossed the finish line. We had to put our masks on again, make sure that we had the mask on going into the finish line. They had hand sanitizer and everything set up at the finish line for us to make sure we were sanitized. And then we had to leave. We had to get in our cars and, and leave immediately. I think for the most part, most of the runners were very respectful of this and, and trying their best. Um, of course, everybody might not have done it a hundred percent, but they were at least trying. And, yeah. and I, really felt like it was a great environment to, to not spread COVID. And the biggest thing too, is, is the state of Maryland had to approve this race and they Mm -hmm. had to get approval the week before. And the state of Maryland, they went through a whole process with the health department and everything in Maryland to where the state actually, they approved it. And so my thing was, that was my thing too, because I questioned running the race, you know, Mm -hmm. even two days before, but when I had heard that the state had approved it, I said, well, who am I to, to tell the state of Maryland that it's, it's not the right thing to do? Like they're using science. They're, they're talking to the health department, to the scientists, to the people that understand the virus way more than I do, Yeah, you know, and they approved it. Well, if they approved it, then it should be fine. Right. Because it's, it's the government, it's the state, it's the health department. 
And so that was my thoughts going into it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that it seems like the organization was also taking it really seriously and that it sounds like they probably very, very did adhere yeah. to all the, the protocols um, that were necessary. So let's, let's leave that behind us and start yeah, talking yeah. a bit <laughs> more about <laughs> your performance. Cause man, just like you absolutely crushed it and it was so inspiring and, and awesome to, uh, to sort of watch digitally to the extent that I could. Um, so, you know, it was pretty competitive field, um, especially under the circumstances and on the men's side, in addition to yourself, you were racing against Matt Daniels, uh, former champion of the race, Jared Hazen, Stephen Kirsch, some other guys. What was your strategy going into the race and, and how, uh, were you thinking about the other guys you were competing with in those early miles on the Appalachian trail? Um, my strategy going into the race was to not worry about the course record, not worry about anything like that. Just run my race, you know, just uh, go out there and have fun, be grateful for the opportunity that I had to race and um, try to stay as, as under control and comfortable as long as I can, you know, and, and utilize the training that I had been doing. And honestly, like I had no intentions of breaking the course record. My only intention was to win the race. And if the course record came through winning the race, great. But if not, I didn't give a crap really. Like I, I, to be honest with you, I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I just want to race. And I, I want to use this as a tune up for my race in January. And so that was the whole intention of the race was use it as a tune up and have fun and, and run hard and do, do what you can. Yeah. So at what point did you start to gain separation on those guys I just mentioned? Like, did you put in a surge at some point or was your pace just sort of steady and you gradually pulled away? Yeah, it was just kind of steady. Uh, so I'm kind of known as the guy that goes out really hard from the start, you know, <laughs> and it's come back to bite me quite a bit. And another thing I've learned, you know, it's being young and, and thinking, <laughs> I don't know, maybe having a little too much confidence going into races. I, mm -hmm. I always would push from the start and then I would go lactate and I would, it would, it sucked. Like, right. Yeah. I, I would have to suffer for a lot of the race because I just went out way too fast. And, yeah. and so this race, I wanted to try something different. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go out conservative, like whatever the lead guys are doing, I'm just going to run with them and just kind of stay in a pack or, or just kind of sit back and let them lead and, and, try to stay as comfortable as I possibly could physically and mentally. And so that's what I did. I went out really conservative. I felt like, like I could have pushed it if I wanted to, but I, I, there was no need. It's 50 miles. Right. And I yeah. knew that the second half was going to be where the race was going to be. One was on the, the tow path and on the road at the end. Um, because the first part of the race is, is there's a lot of AT, you know, you're on the AT for, 13 miles or so with a couple road miles mixed in there. And, mm -hmm. and there's about, there's a little over 3000 feet of elevation gain in the race. And it all comes in the first 15 and a half miles pretty much. Yep. And then the, the next 35 miles after that are all pretty flat and runnable. And so if you don't have legs for those last 35, if you, if you destroy yourself on that first 15 on the AT, you're going to lose because mm -hmm. you need legs for that last 35 when the running happens. 
And so that was kind of my goal was just keep it conservative, stay under control, make sure you have legs come 30 or come 15 miles. So you can use those legs on the last 35. And, and honestly, I I just wanted to race and have fun and run. And that's what I did. (laughs) Heck yeah. Well, I mean, looking at your Strava file from the race is pretty ridiculous after the AT section, which as you said, is encompasses roughly the first 15 miles. You're, you're basically running sub six minutes pace the entire way to the finish. And, uh, I'm curious. So you mentioned, you know, you didn't have the course record, you know, as like necessarily a goal at the front of your mind at the beginning of the race, but did you sort of start to realize that you were within striking distance when you were out there? And, uh, how did that play into your psychology during race day? I honestly didn't think the course record was possible. Um, I'd gone over the, some of the data beforehand and Jim's AT section is out of this world. It's (laughs) so fast. Speaking of somebody who goes out really hard and I think uh, all you guys are similar. (laughs) Like I was like, I can't, I can't do that on the AT. Like I I can't, I had tested out the AT before a couple of days before the race. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I can't, I can't run that fast. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. And I was just like, yeah, so who cares? Like the the course record's out of the picture. There's no way I'm going to break it. Mm -hmm. And, and so coming off the AT, I was almost five minutes behind the course record. Wow. Apparently is what I heard. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't looking at splits really. So I, I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, I got halfway or mile 27 is, is kind of where you get your first aid. And I made a shoe swap there at mile 27 and I came in and I just asked my wife because we'd kind of gone over splits like a few days before. And I said, yeah. how far am I off the record? And she said, "Yeah, you're probably like seven minutes off. Wow. So I was like seven minutes off the record at mile 27. And I was just after that, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, there's no way I'm yeah. going to break it. So I just stopped looking. I stopped even thinking about it at all after mm. that. Like I didn't look at my watch at all. And I just ran and was just running and running. And, and, and it was crazy because after mile 27, like I was feeling good coming in, but then I, I made a shoe swap. I, I was wearing the Clifton's for the first 27 miles. So I could have a little cushion on the AT. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at mile 27, I switched to a, a, a flat, the rocket X by Hoka, which is my favorite shoe actually that I think yeah. I've ever ran in. That's the, the carbon plated shoe. It right? has a carbon plate and it's really responsive. A lot of the marathoners use it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so it's, it's an awesome shoe and I was using it a lot in my speed sessions and on some of my tempo runs, you know, during training. And so I really loved the shoe and, and I jumped into that and it was crazy from after mile 27, I just started feeling even better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I didn't think I could feel any better. And, and all of a sudden I just started feeling better. And I just started clipping off like, like 530, 540 pace. And mm-hmm. it was like conversation pace at 530, 540 pace. And it felt easy. Yeah. And, and after that, it just, I, I just kept going and going. And honestly, to answer your question, I didn't know I was going to break the course record till six miles to go. Really? Yeah. The, the race director was on a bike behind me. And he said something to the fact like, wow, man, you're running fast. He's like, you might've been able to get the course record. And I, I looked down at my watch and I, and I was just like, and I kind of calculated it into my head. Well, I yeah. got six miles to go. 
wait, like, yeah, I might be able to get this course record. <laughs> like, I was like, there's no way. And, and I had to like pinch myself for a second. Cause I was like, what? There's no way. Like, I don't think that's possible. Like, so what did, that, did that uh, give you a little extra pep in your step over the last hour of the race? Yeah, because I like Lavaredo, for instance, Black Canyon. Um, I missed the course records at both of those by like one minute. Really? Hmm. Like it was literally one minute. Uh, like I missed them. And yeah. I was like, you know, at that point I was like, I'm not going to let that happen again. <laughs> like I'm either going to break this course record by a minute yeah. or I'm going to miss it by a minute. And I yeah. do not want to miss it by a minute. And so I, I kind of like started trying to pick up the pace just a little bit. And I really didn't know if I would be able to, but I did. Yeah. And I, and I started feeling even better. Yeah. And I was like, Holy crap. Like what, what's going on here? And I had like a next, an, another gear with six mm -hmm. miles to go. And you know, luckily over those next six miles, I was able to drop the course record, you know, by not just a minute, but by, by three, almost three minutes. Yeah. So I was able to take even a little bit more time off and it just clicked, man. Everything awesome. clicked on that day. And, and honestly, I'm very glad that I wasn't focused on the course record. Cause I think that actually helped me. Heck yeah. It, it made me just, you know, be under control and, and focus on the things that actually were important, like mm -hmm. proper pacing and nutrition and things like that. Yeah. So just for context for the listeners, you finished in five hours, 18 minutes and change, and you broke Jim Walmsley's record from 2016, where he ran five hours, 21 minutes and change. Um, you, you said that everything just kind of clicked. So how are you feeling about the race with a couple of days of perspective? I mean, was it like an absolutely perfect day for you? Or are there things that you feel like you could have done better? Well, there's a few things I could have done better. Like, uh, um, you know, I'm at the shoe swap. Uh, it took a little bit more time than I would have wanted. Um, and, you know, I love my wife to death, but she didn't tie my <laughs> shoes tight enough. And so I actually had to stop and relace my shoes. So I lost a little bit of time there. And I, I, I we, we joked about it. After yeah, yeah, and I, I gave her a hard time. But yeah. uh, anyways, uh, there's a little things there, you know, but who, who knows, maybe, maybe those helped me, you know, maybe yeah, yeah. that little extra rest helped me or whatnot. But honestly, I'll be honest with you, Debo, like it was the easiest race I've ever ran in my life. Wow. Like, well, dude, like, you know, uh, I was following on Twitter and, um, Andy Mason was, was throwing some updates up there and he threw up a, a couple of videos of you, man. And especially the one near the end, you just look amazing, man. You're just like floating so late in the race. And uh, again, I want to point people towards your Strava. Uh, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes so people can take a look at that. Cause man, it's so consistent. I mean, it's like, you can hardly tell that you're fatiguing at all when you're getting close to the finish line there. And, I mean, uh, there was a little fatigue. It's 50 yeah, miles, right? right? But like, yeah. to be honest with you, I, I've had to go into the well a lot in races or fight demons in races and, mm -hmm. and try to fight through these really hard times. I didn't have any of those in this race. Like it was under control. Things were clicking the entire time. I finished the race and was like, man, I could have easily ran another 10, 20 miles at that pace. I feel like, you know, like, and the paces just get, kept getting faster. And like my last mile, I hit under six minute mile pace. Like it yeah. was like a 550 mile or something. Yeah. And I was like, 
and, and it felt pretty easy. And I was just like, I mean, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to brag or anything. It's just, oh, yeah. it was a perfect day. And, yeah. and I just, I, I'm so thankful for that, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is the training, you know, going into it. I, I was really prepared and, mm-hmm. and I wasn't putting pressure on myself. And I was also fresh because I haven't over raced this year. You know, I think that goes a long ways. Yeah. And there was a lot of little things. The weather was great on that day. Like we mm-hmm. had really nice weather, dry trail conditions, which really helped. Yeah. But it, it just was an awesome day. And, and I, I'm really grateful for the day I had out there. And it, it, it's a good confidence builder for me. Um, it's something that I, I've been really hoping for and, and something that I, I knew was there. Uh, I just, I, it needed to come out. It, it's definitely, I think, going to be a breakthrough in my career. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the type of thing that all of us, uh, you know, we sort of hope for in our career and they come around, you know, uh, very rarely, uh, especially, you know, when you're doing it uh, for a long time, you can point to, you know, a handful of these types of magical days and who knows, part of it is fitness, part of it's just a mystery. And I think the key for you now ahead of your your January objective, your mysterious January objective mm-hmm. is to understand that, you know, you didn't crack some special code. You are super fit, but the next one's going to be different. And it's all about, you know, oh, yeah. preparing for that one differently. So, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that hard, hard races aren't going to come. Like right. I know there's going to be lots of up and downs in my career and it's not just going to be, you know, milk and honey from here on out. Like yeah. it's, it's, there's going to be hard times and in, in, in training and in racing. And I'm prepared for those when they're coming and, I've had a lot of ups and downs in the four years that I've been running, yeah. you know, already and that have prepared me for this moment. And that's just ultra running. Right. But that's the beauty of this whole thing is, is the ups and the downs. So totally. I just wanted to say one more thing for the audience. Cause I think it's worth mentioning in 2011, David Riddle won the JFK 50 and he ran about five hours and 40 minutes that won the, ultra runner performance of the year for 2011. And I think this is a perfect representation of how far the sport has come in such a short period of time. Thanks to people like you and others who have come into the sport that uh, here we are in 2020 and Hayden Hawks runs five hours and 18 minutes, a full 22 minutes faster than what was the performance of the year in 2000. And 11. So well, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Times change. People get faster and my, my record will be broke. You of know? course, of course, honestly. And I hope it does. Like, I really hope that someone shatters it, you know, and, and it would, it's awesome to see the, the sport growing. It's awesome to see these new kids coming in, like that kid that just won tunnel Hill and ran like 12 hours and 17 minutes or mm-hmm. something. It's awesome to see that. Right. It's awesome yeah. to see fast new guys and and it it makes me push it makes me want to train harder and smarter it makes me want to not let my guard down and make sure that I'm fit and doing everything I can and it's really cool to see this this sport growing and and I really encourage you know all the kids out there that that really want to get into this and do it like you can have incredible performances you can really change this sport and and I encourage you to do that Oh man, thank you for saying that. That's that's really great. So in closing, Hayden, thanks so much for being here. Aside from your mysterious January 
adventure uh, that you will hopefully make a big announcement about very soon. In a perfect world, you know, assuming we get back to some semblance of normalcy, what would your dream 2021 calendar look like? Uh, what's, uh, what's on your immediate to-do list? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard. I, I've been thinking about that just a little bit because this, this race really opened my eyes up to, you know, I've always wanted to do a, fa a faster, like flatter type race like this to see what I can do. And now that I see that, you know, I, I have potential in this, you know, and, and like, there's a lot of, like, I could do really well in these type of events. Like there's kind of this drive to maybe try some more of those, you know, maybe chase some, some records, you know, on, on some of these flatter races, um, you know, maybe try to go after a comrades, you know, like I, I really think that the potential is there and, and I, I would love to go after a race like that. Um, I, I love running fast. I love speed. And, and that being said, I love the mountains too. And I'm definitely going to do mountain races like I have at the beginning of my career, but I, I want a good mix of both. And, and, and I, I want to be good at both. And, and I think the flat stuff actually helps the mountain stuff, you know, just like Killian this year, he had a really flat based year. And I think that's going to help him with his mountain stuff. And yeah. I, I still love the mountains and I gravitate towards the mountains for sure. But I really enjoyed this JFK race a lot and, and, and the potentials there. So, so yeah, like, uh, you know, comrades is a potential, like there is, maybe a chance that comrades may get moved to the fall, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know, like I've, I've heard rumors about that. Mm -hmm. So maybe a, a Western States and then a comrades in the fall, or maybe I just do comrades this year and push Western States off to 2022. You, you I, don't, I don't think know. you could do both. Huh? I mean, Ellie Greenwood has shown that you can, you can <sighs> smash it at both of them, even Not though they're right only now. separated I, by I'm six young. weeks. I'm 29. Yeah. I got room to grow. I haven't, like I said, I, I need to conquer the hundred mile distance first. Yeah. Um, so maybe in the future. Yes, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I like I said too, I don't want to over race and, and I've, I've been learning that. So, but yeah, there, there's, there's, you never know with COVID what's yeah. going to happen. I'm going to go after this event in January and then make a decision after that. I'm a hundred percent invested into this event in January. And then after that event, um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, Western States is on there. Comrades is potentially on there. I've looked at ultra Vassan, um, and then maybe the fall focus on some mountain stuff like Le Templier maybe, or that's a great uh, race. That's a great race. Like that. Yeah. So yeah, like the, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, we'll see what happens. Too early it, to tell. Yeah. yeah. COVID throws things up in the air and you never know. Yeah. So. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you have interest in comrades too. It's a race I've never been to and a race I, I don't really have a ton of interest in doing myself, but as a fan, I would love, you know, love to see you throw your hat in the ring there. And I think, you know, you're one of those just anomaly athletes in the sport where you can win something like CCC or Lavaredo and then also break the course record at JFK. And I, I feel like, there aren't many people who have that type of range, you know, beyond you and Jim and maybe Tom Evans um, from the UK, you know, it's uh, it'd be really, really fun. And I, and I think really good for the sport to see uh, you guys make a go for it at comrades as well. So 
Hayden, man, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I so appreciate it. And I'm so inspired by your performance over the weekend. Um, I hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, look forward to hearing what's on deck in January. Thanks, man. You as well. Good luck with all your training and happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much to Hayden for coming on. Really appreciate his openness and honesty, willingness to talk about all those different subjects. Of course, I totally understand that not everybody agrees with Hayden's decision to race. You maybe disagree with me having him on the show to talk about it or generally disagree with the fact that races are happening at all in the current context. I just want you to know that uh, I totally understand that perspective. I hope you enjoyed the conversation anyway. Hope it provided some value in some small way. If you don't already, you can follow Hayden. Uh, I put a link to his Instagram profile in the show notes. I also linked to his Strava file from JFK so that you can admire and ogle and be dumbfounded by the paces that he was running. It's really a cool thing to look at. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being open-minded. We'll talk to you soon.